All right, welcome into episode 47 of the Natural Hat Trick Podcast. Luke Lipinski alongside Craig Morgan and Jamie Eisen. That's the Craig is fired up because he was just paid under the door, so we just had to sit here and wait until he got money. So motivated right now. He refused to start the show until he was paid under the door. He was standing at his scratching at it. <laughs> like looking, a dog. Yeah, just looking and just waiting, throwing his hands up. Where you know where is it? And then just before we hit record, Keith came through, slipped the check under the door, and now we can now have a all podcast. Is well. Video or it never happened. I don't even think I get paid for this show, so I need to talk to your agent, Craig. Um, here's what we have coming up today. We're going to do uh, some talking about the hockey. We're going to preview Minnesota with... Uh, I think that's bare minimum. We should probably do the talking about hockey on this hockey podcast. Oh, shoot, it's, 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 it's a great start to yes. change the name. We're going to do some talking about the hockey. <laughs> you know what? I'll change it right now. I don't care. Uh, we're going to have Michael Russo of, uh, of the Star Tribune on to talk about the Minnesota Wild. Ants Arcon of MLive.com to talk about the Detroit Red Wings. And then, spoiler alert, if you want to tune out before the last segment, we will preview the Columbus Blue Jackets. So it's kind of like one of those movie reviews where I don't want to give away the end of the movie. So if you want to stop listening now, not now, but right yeah, before Don't stop Columbus. listening now. Yeah. It's terrible advice. No, I mean, you'll miss everything. Is it the Blue Jacks preview, all three of us are just going to block a shot. And, yeah. going to call or take a shot and, and, and then leave. Then somebody's going to yell at us and we're all going to leave sad yeah. pretty much. And maybe we'll trade Ryan Johansson. I won't be sad. I'll have a check. That's true. That's true. <laughs> maybe we'll be sad. Great. Wow. Okay. Now you're going to be sad. Craig gets paid by the word. Jamie does not after that. Uh, also, I will say this. When I pulled in, there's a car with a big Detroit Red Wings like tire on the back of the car wow. as if sensing that we were previewing the Red Wings today. So I don't know. Do we have fans outside the window? I don't know. Looking out at our studio audience. Uh, uh, not that like window. Really not any giveaways. You had one fan. Yeah. We did. That was the other window. We're like a fishbowl here when we do this podcast. All right. We're going to start with Jimmy VC because, as expected, he uh, made his decision – after we did the show last week. I guess it was like a day or two later. And he made the decision that really sort of baffles me. And, uh, well, I know Craig is, is had more of an adverse reaction than even I did. Jimmy Vesey, with all the teams that we read off and then all the teams that you know were rumored to be interested in him, even outside of the main six, chooses the New York Rangers. Purely a hockey decision. Purely a hockey decision. So not location – I mean, well, not in Boston – um, not going for the rebuilding team in Toronto or Buffalo, not going for the winning team in Chicago or Pittsburgh, just going for the team. Just yeah. Well, you know what? Picking it is. a team. You know what it is, Luke? They really wanted. Him. Oh well, in that case, I mean, if they that showed... explains it all. You, you got to feel those wanted. Other teams wanted him. No. Stan Bowman showing up to watch your games didn't necessarily mean he wanted you. No. He was just scouting the competition Buffalo ahead of time. Trading for your exclusive negotiating rights. Didn't mean they wanted That's to. the surprising one. Why wouldn't you just go for Buffalo instead of the Rangers? I understand, like, you're a young guy. You want to live in New York City instead of Buffalo. Guess what? They have, like, chartered flights everywhere, and Buffalo's not that far from anything. And, oh, by the way, all season long, you're just going to be in NHL cities. It doesn't really matter where you play. And who wouldn't rather skate with Jack Eichel or that lineup as opposed to just being in New York, making the playoffs, going out in the first that's or second round of the year? Bud playing there in Hayes, so maybe that's part of that it. That probably maybe was a major energy. part of it intimated that that was part of it but you know I, I, I obviously nobody wants to go on the record to talk about this and there were probably a lot of hurt feelings that maybe motivated some of the comments that were coming out but there are people that believe he just wanted the big stage others who believe that he was promised a big payday when that entry-level contract expires and you know that's not something you can necessarily get in Chicago with their cap issues or Pittsburgh so 
in the end, I think this was probably, if, if I'm looking at this from the outside, I, I think the big stage was a big part of it, and I think money was a huge part of it. That's always a huge part But, of I mean, it. it's, it's feasibly he could have gone to Chicago, won a cup or two, and then just changed teams in, in two or three years There's if he wanted idea. to. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the promise that, oh, yeah, when your contract's up, we're going to pay you a lot of money. That sounds great unless he underperforms. Yeah. Then all of a sudden, I mean, they're under no obligation to do anything. Nope. So if you want the big stage, you have a good friend there. It's, like, it's understandable, but it's not a, a hockey, a pure hockey decision. It is not. Do you think people in general are rooting for this kid now, or is it just kind of like we're glad the story's over and we're kind of sick of how big of a deal? It almost felt like there was a stretch here where Jimmy Vesey was a bigger deal than Steven Stamkos, because Stamkos, I mean, had been dragged out for so long already, but he's never done anything at the NHL level, and now he's basically spurned two teams. I mean, especially Nashville, who used a pick on him and tried to sign him for the playoff run last year. I think people will slowly forget. It's a little bit of the Justin Schultz syndrome, where once it's gone, I mean, obviously, Anaheim's not a huge fan of him still. But once that's over with, people I don't think are going to care that much. And I just think – I don't know why he could have just said, as we talked about for our last segment, I have a good buddy there. It's New York City. The lore of playing in Madison Square Garden, if that's something even people of my generation care about anymore. I mean, that's, that's talked about a lot, like Yankee Stadium, MSG. Not sure that that's – for most, that is still a, an allure – but I think living in New York City, why, I mean, as a younger person would be What would be, be the worst case scenario of him saying that? Nothing. So I don't understand why to, to come out and say, well, it's a purely hockey decision. Yeah, when they're... Why, did, why did we get that? Why did we get, maybe the Rangers forced him into that. I don't know. Maybe it was one of those PR decisions. But, yeah, it just it fell so flat. Oh, they really wanted me. Really? Yeah. Every like other team wanted you too, dude. Come on. Nobody is buying that. Yeah. And, you know, back to your earlier point that people will move on past this. That's probably true of some of them, but remember the markets we're talking about here that he snubbed. You know, Sam Carcidi uh, reported that the Flyers were in on him as well. So you're talking about fan bases in Boston, Philadelphia, and Chicago. Those are generally Mild pretty emotional yeah. fan bases. I think it'll take a little bit longer for them to get over Jimmy Vesey. I think he's going to face some hostile crowds when he goes on the road. He might, but when the Blackhawks win the Cup this year, everybody will forget about it. Well, but And the fans in New York aren't going to like him after about a week either, no matter what he does, unless he's scoring a goal every night. So now you've got four of the biggest cities. Savior, though, Luke. Oh, yeah, no, they're yeah. they're on the cusp of winning it all. Uh, it's it, with, like With what up the middle? <laughs> Again? Uh, with what up the middle? Yeah. They, they've got good pieces up the middle. Do they have elite pieces up the middle? No. So the Rangers aren't winning the Cup. In fact, they're in decline. So I don't get this move. You know, Jamie points out Justin Schultz as an example, and, and certainly that's the best one you can uh, you can go with recently. But it is interesting, Craig, like you, you note the comments that he made after he signed with the Rangers and just kind of the way this has all gone down. Like anytime a team drafts you and you don't play for them, it's not going to look great. But now we've basically, I mean, depending who you believe way back in, in February and March, Nashville thought they had him for the playoffs last year. So... He already kind of had a perception out there about him that maybe he wasn't meaning what he was saying to people or maybe his word wasn't that valuable. Now, whether he actually agreed to that or not, either way, then he goes to Buffalo. And I'm not going to fault him for the Sabres because they knew what they were getting into when they traded for his rights. But then his first comments in New York are, I'm here for a hockey. He's just, it feels like he's insulting everybody's intelligence every time he talks or reportedly talks. And this is a Harvard man we're talking about, a Harvard man. <laughs> you think he'd know better. He's acting like you, we all went think. to Yale, <laughs> which we did not. Yeah, I've said. Uh, but going back to like, Nashville's fan base, it's a little bit different. You know, the, ask Coyotes fans about Blake Wheeler. 
yeah. you know, ask Ducks fans about Justin Schultz. I mean, that's going to be a little different. I am curious to see the reaction from Chicago, from a little bit from Buffalo, although they took a risk by making that trade, knowing that there was a very good chance they might not be able to sign him. Small sample size from my friends back in Chicago. I can't repeat what they said. Well, that, I mean, that right. could be about anything, though, right? I could ask you about was, the Chicago it Bears. It was two words. It was, it was the same thing from five different people. <laughs> it was well, let's see. Let's something VC. Yeah. <laughs> Put two and two together there. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, I don't think the yeah, fan— Google, of course. The, I don't <laughs> think the fan bases are going to forget. But I think a team like the Blackhawks, they're just going to be, who? They're gonna, who is that guy? Like, yeah, we wanted somebody to play with Taves. He's the one missing out. They still have tapes. Yeah, and there's, there's no doubt that this whole process always puts a spotlight on the player. I mean, there's no doubt that it's already going to be a massive spotlight whether he signed in Buffalo, signed in Chicago, signed in Philadelphia. But those comments coming out afterward, I think, only make it worse. Just be, just be honest. Where sometimes I understand why organizations or players can't be honest in certain situations. It's not good for them or for the player. I don't get why you can't be honest here. What What's wrong with saying... I had a good okay. I want to go to work someplace. I like the location. I have somebody I'm good friends with. It's a team that's a playoff contender. That would have done a lot. Completely agree. Because that's where I'm the going. Kids, the kid's being honest, and ultimately, it's his choice. Yeah. You can you can question whether it was the wisest choice, but if he's honest with you and tells you the reasons, okay, that's why you made your decision. I do. You know, sometimes I think team PR steps into these situations and overthinks the process. It's like you have to. You have to put a coding on everything anyone says when they're representing the team. And sometimes it makes zero sense. Honesty would have been the best thing here. I agree with you completely. It would have made a lot of sense to just be straightforward. It would have made I – think, I think it would have been more understandable to people if he was saying, yes, this is a hockey decision. I went to Chicago or Pittsburgh, the last two cup winners. Or if, if all along he was like, look, I'm from Boston. I just – I want to play in Boston. I'm going to play with the Bruins. That, that makes more yeah, sense to people. Nobody would have faulted him on that one, right, even though you know, of all the teams on the list – Wow, you chose Boston, really? Okay, but yeah, he grew up there. It would have made sense. So now, I mean, he's he's saying it's a hockey decision. If I if I gave you a thousand dollars, which I don't need to because it's coming under the door right now, and you had to put money on one of these two teams to win the Stanley Cup, would you go with Nashville or the Rangers? Because the West is harder, but my money would be on Nashville if those are my only two choices. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, of all the choices that were on his list, I mean, for a team that could conceivably win the Cup in the next five years. The Rangers would be near the bottom of that list, maybe only ahead of Boston. Yeah, and again, I think the point is simple. It's not just the way the fan base reacts to you, but the media as well. If you're just honest, the, the way that he's going to be framed from here on out is going to be completely different because if you take him at face value, which is what he is asking you to do, it's a very questionable choice to call that a hockey decision. So if you're just honest the whole time, the whole, the whole scope in which he is viewed – Changes if he's just honest here, and I just think it just puts even more pressure on a player that still has exactly zero NHL games under his belt. Yeah, look, I mean, if he goes out there and puts up 25 goals this year or something, then people are just going to move on, and, and it is what it is. But if he starts slow, he's going to. You're playing in New York. You're going to hear about it if you start slow. But you're also going to. You're going to hear about it from everybody else too, because then we're going to. Everybody's just going to talk about how this kid was so hyped and, and acted, you know, right or wrong. He acted like he was the Connor McDavid of this summer. Except McDavid just got drafted, but he acted like he was as good of a player as McDavid. And in this case, even if the team struggles and he does okay, he's still going to face those questions. Yeah. He has no – there's almost no – unless they are very good and he is very good, there's no way he's going to avoid it. And on the topic of hype, you can you can make the argument that media drove a lot of this during a dead period in the NHL season. There's definitely something to yeah, that. Yeah, there's something there. But 
many, how many, first of all, how many agents does Jimmy VC have? I can't keep track of them because every, every time I turn around, somebody else was being quoted from his camp. They certainly drove this as well. They enjoyed it. And I, you know what they're doing as agents, but they didn't help their client in that respect either. Well, you shouldn't have agents. Like, just one is, <laughs> I, I guess. I get it if it's a company, but it, just, it was hard to keep track. Well, he needed 29 other agents to tell all the other teams no. So he had one for each of those. <laughs> and then he personally told the Rangers yes, I guess. All right, we can stop talking about Jimmy VC until about midway through the season now. Now, the Dallas Stars add one of the few players out there that I think we were all scratching our head as to – we were verbally scratching our head like two weeks ago as to why he was still out there, if you can do such a thing. Uh, Yuri Hudler to the Dallas Stars. Guy had 76 points two years ago. I don't think anybody expects that again, but if he chips in like another 45 to 50 for that offense, it's unreal strength what they on, could do. Yeah, strength on strength. Now, we can talk about does it actually make them a better hockey team overall, but it, they can't play goal. Yeah, or defense. Or defense, yeah. yeah. They, they've got issues in both of those places still. But, I mean, I think if I'm correct, I can't remember, but I think that they led. They were the top possession team in the NHL last year. Is that correct? Around, no, I think L.A. was LA, number okay. one. But so, Dallas was in the top five. Okay. I mean, you, you're going to you're gonna increase your possession with Dallas now. So they're going to have the puck even more. And that, that obviously helps. But, yeah, you're still going to have those moments yeah. where you have to defend in your own end. <laughs> they lost all their defensemen, too. In the offseason. Yeah, they're they going with not to sign any of those guys. They okay. still have the same issue in goal unless they can pull a rabbit out of a hat and get somebody else. But They have a bunch of rookie defensemen coming up as they try to make the Stanley Cup this year, so good luck with that. Hodor's a good player. He helps their offense. Yeah. But I don't feel any differently about their ability to contend for a Stanley Cup today than I did before they signed him because it's just adding. He's, yes, he's a, he's a good player, but you're adding incrementally to an area you're already really good at. It's like the guy on your street that already has, like, nine cars, and he goes out and buys another car. But then the guy, like, three doors down doesn't even have a car. He takes the bus everywhere. Like, it doesn't make any sense that Yuri Hudler went to Dallas as opposed to – I could rattle off a dozen other teams that it would have made more sense. There's other teams that either need offense or have a bunch of young players that he could have maybe mentored, whereas Dallas was the leading scorer in the NHL last year. Well, but for him, I think it makes sense in that he's joining a cast that's so talented up front. He's probably going to – have a pretty good offensive season. His output is going to be good. And then you look down the road, okay, this is a one-year deal. Yuri Hitler is looking at his next contract. And by playing with Dallas, you put up those kinds of numbers, it's probably going to help you. But in terms of helping the Stars, I'm, I'm with Jamie. I mean, I, I do think it's going to help them a little more offensively to add yet another piece. It's going to help their possession numbers, but they still have the same issues they had last season. It yeah. makes, makes sense for him, but not for that team or other teams like Edmonton or whoever yeah. that, that has young Chicago players that need a vet. Him. I mean, Chicago was in on him, but if you believe many of the reports that were out there, but they, they the Blackhawks can't even afford two million a season. Yeah, and again, it, it's <laughs> good to add talent, but if you add a player of his talent level at a different position, it would have helped the Stars more. But what I really want to know, and the important question here, Luke, is if Yuri Hoodler yeah. was a car, what car would he be in your, <sighs> in your a, fantasy? I mean, he, he'd be a pretty pretty nice car, but not you know he's not like a. He's not a Bugatti, but he's a he's a decent car. Yeah, so name some names. Is he, a, is he a foreign car? Foreign sports car? Is he a sedan? He's a decent car. I don't know. He's not he's not like a top of the line car. Obviously, he's, not a Buick. he's like a he's a he's an Infinity. How's that? Okay. Right. Okay. okay. But that you, you guys are getting caught up in the detail. Maybe maybe like an older Infinity. Actually, now that I think about it, but still, it, it's the guy with nine cars doesn't need a tenth car, whereas the guy down the street doesn't have any car. The guy down the street. The down the street that's Edmonton. Defensive core. Who's the guy down the street? It's a different team that needs that. scoring. Wow, yeah. you guys, I can't yeah. explain this to you guys, you rubes all day. 
Montreal could have used him. Carolina could have. I'm just. I'm just Montreal here. doesn't value quality. That's true. Quality they have Alex Radulov, and I don't know what Radulov is, so don't ask me to compare him to a car. Vancouver was reportedly on this. Well, of course, of course they were. Like, what? What are you doing? <laughs> no. Vancouver might be the most delusional team in professional sports. Winnipeg, today. they could have used him. Yes, uh, Vancouver. I don't. I, I'm, I'm running. I'm running through my head. I can't think of another sports organization that no. It feels like they have no idea where their place is in terms of where they are right now. No, because I think the Cleveland Browns know they're bad, and they could even be kind of exciting this year. There's not really they know, like they the know they're not yes. winning anything. No, this year. They, Vancouver yes. has no reason to believe they should do anything this year. Yet they're they're spending like they're a cup contender. Oh no, we we should be in on this free agent that's going to help us finish even more closer to 500 than we already were. They're blocking off a couple streets in downtown for late June just in case they're parading the Stanley Cup around town with uh, Louis Erickson and nobody else. Um, you guys once again derailed me with Vancouver. Don Maloney. Don Maloney. Signs with the uh, Calgary Flames. Not to play, but as a uh, scout. Yes. Well, the way I said yeah. it, it made it sound <laughs> like he was left winger Don Maloney. <laughs> yeah, obviously we have a lot of listeners who follow the Coyotes here. He was their GM until April when, when the Pez let him go after nine seasons. Had a chance to catch up with him, and as usual, it was it was a classic. The, the best quote in hockey, yes, certainly yes. among among front office people. I don't right. think there's a better quote. The first thing he says to me is, "There's only so much golf and tequila a guy can take, so it's time to get back to work." Okay, <laughs> it's been like two months. So Don sounds like he's in a good place. You know, he you know he admitted it. He, he knew it was coming. He, yeah. he had a good feeling. I think all of us saw it coming. Not just because he missed the playoffs for four years, but I think he had a sense, you know, I think he got this sense late in the game that he was probably going about things the wrong way, an old school way where he wasn't involving people in the process, specifically ownership and coach Dave Tippett, and that created some bad feelings within the organization. They, they wanted more of a collaborative approach. I wrote about this the day he was fired. Yeah. So that's all out there now, and, and, and Don admitted that that was part of the concern. But, you know, he, when you... Uh, when you hit rock bottom and when you, you sort of make a concerted effort to hit rock bottom with the prize of Connor McDavid looming out there, well, there's probably going to be casualties, especially when you miss the playoffs that's, four straight seasons. That's, that's the thing. That's, that's the nature of this business. So one of the things he said to me, it was right after he hired Darcy Regeer as his assistant general manager, which we all know only lasted a little over a year. He was excited to get back out and do some scouting. This is one of the parts of the game that Don loves the most. He loves being in the rinks watching the games, watching the players evaluate. And, he, and he, as he said to me, I think that's one of my few strengths. <laughs> so he's going to get that chance again. And, and another thing, I, I didn't even put this in my Sunday column, but he said, to be honest, Craig, this is, this is sort of ex-GM 101 handbook, okay? You get fired from a team, you go work for another as a pro scout for a couple years, and you hope to get back in the game as a GM somewhere else. Yes, Don Maloney wants to be a general manager in this league again. He hopes this opportunity will provide it. He's going to work with Brad Living, who we work with here, as Brad was his assistant GM for so many years. They have a good relationship, so you know things fell into place for Don. He he was getting paid, also I should mention. Yeah, that's so not a bad way to go yeah, about it's, things. It's, it's a pretty good situation for him. He's he's going to get back out in the race. He's going to see players again. So he sounds like he's in a pretty good place, and he understands how all this works. Yeah, you know, we've we've kind of touched on this in the past, talking about other teams, and I guess I'll just bring it back to Vancouver because why not? Uh, you know, how many times have we said the Canucks don't seem to really have direction or you know, maybe Jim Benning is just goes out and signs Louis Erickson because he's trying to save his job. Generally speaking, when you go through a rebuild, the GM doesn't survive. And so you have to – we all admire Don Maloney's candor just in the way he talks and conducts himself. But you know, to your point, Craig, they, they basically 
it wasn't 100% by choice, but when it became clear they weren't making the playoffs, they basically bottomed out and they traded away uh, present assets for future assets, and that stuff's working out. Now you get Anthony Duclair and all those picks from the Rangers, but as the GM, you have to know somewhere in the back of your mind, I'm going to make this franchise better for the long term. I'm doing it, and it will cost me my job. Well, and that's something we're going to revisit later when we talk about uh, the Detroit Red Wings and why we're going to we're going to talk about what the playoff streak means to them and whether or not it's actually hurting them. This is the other element to it, and so we'll talk about that more a little bit later in the show. There's there's that old saying. It's, it goes for coaches and for GMs. You're hired to be fired, right? It, it, it happens. Eventually, you know you're not going to be in this post. But it, I just I love Don's attitude about all this, and you know what? You talk to people around the Coyotes off the record. It's, it's not nothing that you're fridging or anything. There's a respect for this guy because yeah. throughout the process, from the time he was fired, he took the high road. He wouldn't say anything bad about the organization. He was a class act, and I think they all recognize it. But he also he maintains that sense of humor. When you get Don alone and he starts talking, he, he just gives you such great anecdotes. He talked to me about the time when he was the Islanders GM. And he, he got fired. He says, as soon as I walked out of the building, I'm never going to that barn again. He goes, Next year, I'm scouting for San Jose, and sure enough, there I am back at Nassau Coliseum. <laughs> How many people have walked out of Nassau Coliseum saying they're never going back there again? Now they can actually say it. Yeah, that's true. Now they can park no. right next to the for, ice yeah, maybe. in Brooklyn yeah, for, for another year or so. Um, all right, for the, the final uh, note here before we get into the uh, Minnesota Wild preview with Michael Russo. Jamie, do you have something? I have one note, just a random note. Okay, that, throw your random note. The, Is this Blue, about football? No. Okay. Uh, the Blues are going to name Alex Petrangelo their next captain oh, tomorrow. Stunner. So, fun fact. We, we don't have to play the game anymore of maybe we're going to name so-and-so or, or our goalie or Tarasenko or whatever. Now Craig has a note. What's going See, on over here? keep going. With All right. But I wanted to ask you guys, you know, on the subject of Calgary, since, since we're talking about Brad, what did you guys think of the signing of Sean Monaghan for that seven-year deal? What, what, what was, choice do you have? 6.375. Yeah. To, to me, I, I thought that made sense. I mean, yeah. I, I thought they locked him, you know, a, a guy, they locked him up at a decent price he could be your number one center, right? Or you could have somebody like Bennett, Sam Bennett come along and end up being your number one center. You've still got the money to sign him. It, it, you look at comparables. I, you know, I cited guys like Nathan McKinnon and, and Mark Scheifele. He's, he's getting a little bit more than them, but he's, he's been more productive. He has been more productive career, so than them. I thought this was a, yet another good move by Brad up in Calgary. I, just, I continue to be impressed by what they're doing in that organization, unlike most of the other organizations in Canada. The, the most important, the most important. <laughs> Somebody's about to sing again. The most important thing in hockey right now is to lock up your young, valuable assets to cap-friendly slash reasonable deals. And at least until the NHL locks itself out again and the cap goes way down, six point three million dollars is not a lot of money to spend for the kind of production they're getting already from Sean Monahan. If he never does anything more than he's already doing, yeah. It's look, Craig. To your point, if Sam Bennett becomes your number one center. That's a great problem to have because that means Sam Bennett is playing great hockey. I don't think Sean Monaghan's going to have a drop-off. He just seems like a nice, consistent, just he's going to put in his, his 25 to 30 goals a year maybe. goes up a little bit more. But, I mean, he was – he was you know, Johnny Gaudreau was drafted so late in the draft, but Monaghan was, was, was picked as – he had a lot of expectations when they picked him, and he yeah. continues to produce at that level. I, that's, that's a no-brainer. Again, you got to lock up guys down the middle. Yeah. Pittsburgh yeah, exactly. did an okay job spending a lot of money on two centers. Uh, last note here. Can I get to it? I know you both really want to talk about it so much before we hit the Minnesota preview. Uh, less than two weeks to training camp opens for the World Cup of Hockey. I could not possibly care less. Wow. Okay. Well, that just really hurt my uh, my self esteem. My, I'm setting my I'm going under on my over under of 1.5 World Cup of Hockey games that I watch. Oh, I'll watch like 10 under. 
I, I'll not take – for me, I'll, I'll definitely take the over on nine and a half. Not a chance. I might not watch a lot of U.S. games because it doesn't seem like they're trying to win this year, but whatever. You're going to watch hockey. It's the middle of September. See, and there's no, not, what I'm saying. I'm going to watch hockey. I'm just not going to admit it. Yeah. No, I'm just not going to watch it. We'll it's make you happen. watch it. All right, we're going to preview the. Uh, like close pin my eyes open in the office. Yes. Like, watch it. When I walked in today, your eyes were close pinned open. But this is going to spark more international competition, uh, Luke and Jamie. Uh, yeah. Don't Jeremy, look at Jamie and Jeremy call him Luke. Says so, yeah. oh, I can't wait for them to, to scream about. Here's why you can't go to the Olympics anymore. <laughs> Greg just sees us all as the same if we're, if we're not him. If we're not sliding him money under yeah. the door. I know the guy who pays me. <laughs> I know his name. And that's it. Thank you, Keith. All right, we're going to preview the Minnesota Wilds. All right, we continue our team-by-team uh, team season previews with the Minnesota Wild, and we're going to talk to the utmost authority on Minnesota Wild hockey. You can follow him on Twitter, at Russo Trib. It's Michael Russo of the Star Tribune. Uh, Michael, first of all, thanks for the time, and I guess we'll, we'll just jump right into it. Uh, a major change for the Wild this offseason, bringing in Bruce Boudreau behind the bench. In your eyes, what sort of uh, change can we see just in terms of the way the team plays this year with him back there? I think they'll get a boost immediately just because of the, the, you know, the esteem that he comes here with as the guy that's won eight division titles, had nine years with Washington and Anaheim, and and I think that he'll immediately command that respect behind the bench. Uh, you know, this is, a, I think, a franchise that's at the end, uh, just kind of tired of Mike Yo. Uh, you know, I think Mike Yo is a fabulous coach. I think he'll eventually do a great job in St. in St. Louis when he eventually takes over for for Ken Hitchcock, but I think he had an expiration date, and he, he outlived it here in Minnesota with five years here behind the bench. They did well under him, but you know the hope is that Bruce Boudreaux could, could get them to that next step, and obviously Boudreaux is searching for that elusive uh, one-game seven victory, but uh, but a Stanley Cup victory as well, and um, you know, whenever a new coach comes in, you always hear they're going to be more aggressive and more offensive and things <laughs> like that, and, and obviously, uh, but the when you look at the Minnesota Wild, the reality is, is that the personnel is the personnel, and they've never had a game breaker since Marion Gabrick, and and so you can't magically turn this team into uh, into an Anaheim team that has a Corey Perry or something like that. So, you know, I still think they're going to have to stay with that team concept uh, under Boudreaux, but I do think that immediately off the off the hop here, I think we'll get a boost from it. Well, let's talk a little bit more about that because I, I wanted to ask you. You know, I think a lot of people are assuming that simply because Bruce is behind the bench. There will be this offensive injection, as you said. Personnel is personnel. Will there be subtle changes, ways where they can maybe get a little bit more offense out of the Wild, the the existing personnel? I think they finished what twentieth in the NHL last year in goals for. Yeah, and, you know, and they're a team that two years ago actually was pretty pretty good uh, offensively. And I think the one area where they've got to get better is, is on the power play, and that's one area where Bruce usually excels. And, you know, they're, they're a team that with their personnel, regardless of not having the, the, the pure and pure goal scorer that a lot of teams, especially in the Central Division, have, they, they have guys that should be able to be scorer. You know, they, they should have two good power play units. And last year, their power play got off to a, just an abysmal start, didn't score uh, really the first month, month and a half of the season. Um, and, and it just kind of snowballed from there. There was a point where it seemed like they got it together, but there just seemed to be a lot of egos a lot of uh, deciding, uh, you know, early, even before the season started and when Adam Oates came here and, and it created that kind of mess, um, that, that there were just, a, a, you know, a lot of disrespect maybe for the power play coach and it was kind of the inmates running the asylum. And I think Bruce Boudreaux and Scott Stevens and the whole crew, John Anderson, who's coming in as, as a coach as well, I think they're going to have to all just say, look, we are the guys in charge. We're going to put you in the spots that we want you to put, uh, that we feel that you should be and put in. We're going to develop a system that we think that you can excel in, and you play it. And, and, and 
do your jobs on the ice instead of trying to coach the power play from behind the scenes. And last year there was just a lot of issues from that standpoint, and I think that's the first area where I think we'll see subtle changes. And if the Wild, you know, even strength, I think they're pretty good. If they can just get their power play on track and then keep their penalty kill where it was last year, um, you know, or, or at, at times uh, where the power penalty kill needs to get better as well where it was two years ago, I think that they'll get it back on track. One of the new faces on the team is Eric Stahl, which is a fairly low-risk signing for the, the term that they signed him to. How much does the organization think he has left in the tank? Well, he better have something left in the tank. I don't, have, I don't think he has to be a cure-all, but he's just got to come in here motivated. And, you know, what they're banking on, the uh, kind of the political talking points all summer long, is that this is a guy that just got tired in, um, in Carolina playing for a team that that pretty much was a bottom cap team that didn't have a ton of talent around him and that he just got kind of stale there. And then when he was traded to the Rangers, he was kind of miscast there and not playing up the middle. And, and just that he'll magically be better just because all of a sudden he's going to be excited to get to a new situation. He's only 31 years old. And, you know, on the other hand, the Wild fans are worried that this is going to be Danny Heatley and Thomas Vanek all over again. I, I don't think it's to that point. I think, uh, you know, I do think Danny Heatley was at that stage where he was washed up. I think Vanek was more of a work ethic issue that didn't really fit in the type of system that, that Mike Yo wanted, which is, uh, you know, energy and work ethic and skating and, and playing quality defense. And so the question is, can Eric Stahl be reinvigorated playing on a line potentially with Charlie Coyle, who was one of their best players last season, and Zach Parisi, who right now looks like he's healthy and uh, coming back from a season-ending back injury. So, um, you know... I guess to expect that, that Eric Stahl is going to be able to come here and put up 50 goals and 100 points again, obviously he's not going to be able to do that. But if he can come here and get 50, 60 points, I think anybody uh, for the t- price that they got him at and the fact that they uh, you know, were out on Franz Nielsen and couldn't find David Backus and got the third best center on the open market, um, you know, I think anybody would be happy with 50 or 60 points. To stick with that point, Mike, you know, if, if Stahl can do what, you, what they're asking him to do or what they're hoping he can do, on that front, do the Wild have enough depth down the middle? Does it have a trickle-down effect where they have that the sort of depth that it can be considered anything more than a Western Conference playoff contender? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that they're a team that's suddenly going to contend for the division title, and that's what's frustrating, I think, for all Wild fans, is that they see teams like Dallas continually getting better. Uh, you know, I think Winnipeg is going to be a better team this year. Nashville, I think, is on the rise. Colorado won the division two years ago, uh, three years ago. Obviously, he's on a on a slide now, but you got to think that they're going to be better. Then obviously got Chicago and St. Louis and with. So did the Wild make a step that's going to appreciably just by a new coach get them to where they want to go? Probably not. So this, to me, again, looks like a team that's going to be contending for a wild card spot. Um, did they are, you know, Craig, to your point, I mean, they're, they're one of those teams that just, you know, when you look at their depth, they are relying on Eric Hollis to be the guy that he was in the second half last year on, after John Torchetti took over. He was one of the best centers in the division. Um, and he has to come in and be ready to take that spot that on the third line. And then if Saul actually fizzles a bit, then you can maybe move him up and play him with Parisi, which has the making of a quality line if Eric, if Eric Hollis is playing well. Nico's got to continue to be just the good center he is. But this is a team that doesn't have a number one legit center. And they will be probably relying on either a minor league depth player on the fourth line, unless they sign somebody or make a trade, or uh, a, a potential you know young young player like Kyle, Tyler Brayback. Uh, they're going into camp not wanting to box anybody out by signing a role player. They could have signed Matt Cullen. They decided not to. 
Matt was willing to sign here and, and be that fourth line center and be a guy that you can move up uh, down the lineup, but they chose not to. So they're 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 going into camp with really only ten NHL forwards on their team, and and the rest are going to be guys that are going to have to make it on the back end on an Iowa team, by the way, that has been uh, the worst team in the AHL the last two years, and three years ago was the worst team in the Western Conference. Mike, you, you mentioned the Blackhawks and the Stars, and you kind of indicated you think the Wild are probably a wild card team this year. Obviously, Chicago and Dallas are, are the two teams that have taken Minnesota out each of the last four years. When you get into that seven-game uh, scenario, do you see a way that Minnesota can get past one of them this year, or can you kind of pinpoint what was missing the last couple of years against them? Well, they both losses were very different than, than each other. Uh, against Chicago, you know, they had a great win against Colorado in the first round. They go to play Chicago. They have all this disbelief because two year, three years ago in the first round, uh, excuse me, the uh, second round against Chicago, um, they actually, uh, you know, did quite well. They beat Colorado, thought that the Wild should have won that series. And then they go and, and they, they wind up beating, excuse me, St. Louis last year, not Colorado. Um, this is two years ago, and they go into that Chicago series, and, and everybody in this locker room thought this was our year to prove to Chicago that we've out, you know, that we've surpassed them and can go and beat this team and go to the conference final. Then what happens is Chicago almost played the wild system, and they kind of sat back and waited for the wild to make stupid mistakes, and then wound up a countered, and the wild never had the lead in any game in that series and just could not score. They could not, like they usually can't, beat Corey Crawford. And the last year was the complete opposite. They scored plenty of goals to beat the Dallas Stars, but they got just terrible goaltending from Devin Dubnik and shoddy defense. And so, you know, Dubnik's got to be better, and they, they've they got to figure out a way to score goals. And, you know, I think that's a symptom of a team that's just a bubble team. Though. You know, this is not a team that right now, you know, they, when they're playing a team like the Dallas Stars, who were very beatable in the first round last year, or when they're playing the Chicago Blackhawks, or when they're playing the St. Louis Blues, they have to be on their A game every single game of that series in order to win. Where other teams seem to be able to have that that you know ability to make errors in a series and still overcome uh, the Wild, and and they just have to play a perfect series. And so you know, you know I don't want to fool anybody in Arizona or anybody listening to this podcast to think that just by getting Bruce Boudreau that this team is going to suddenly make that big, big step, you know, it's, it's going to have to come from within this locker room, and I still think that they're a team with the personnel that they have, and I'm not saying that they're a bad team by any stretch, but they are what they are. They're probably a team that's going to contend between 7 and 10 all season long, and, um, you know, unless somehow Boudreau and Scott Stevens supplies that, you know, just energy boost that can, you know, can keep this sustained throughout the year. On that note, do the Wild feel they can get and maybe should get more from their younger players like Niederreiter, like Charlie Coyle, Eric Halla, et cetera? Yeah, I, I think that that's when you look at, at the Wild and where they kind of lack, um, you, you know, inside this division is that they have a, a bunch of really good young players, but none of them have turned into that absolute stud, a game-breaker that everybody thought that maybe Mikhail Gramlin could become or Nino Niederreiter or Charlie Coyle or Eric Halla. Eric Halla has been overcome by inconsistency. Jason Zucker is a guy that was on pace two years ago before he broke his collarbone for 30-plus goals. Last year he just had an abysmal season. He's got to bounce back this year. Charlie Coyle was absolutely awesome until about you know uh, February or March last year. Then all of a sudden he went to final, you know, he hit 20 goals and he hit, well, I think he went to final 20-something games without a goal until scoring in the last game. Um, and and Niederreiter's a guy that you know he he amped that that expectations up two years ago when he hit I think 25 goals and you know this is a guy that that should be somebody that gets 30 goals now Niederreiter 
uh, Hala and Pominville was on, you know, probably their most consistent line from the time John Torchetti, the interim coach, took over last February 13th um, to the end of the season. And so if Niederreiner and Hala could stay at tandem this year and, and, and Pominville comes in ready to have a bounce back year, that has the makings of a good line. But they need more from their young kids. I still think that where this team uh, has the ability to go is totally on their young kids. Uh, I think you know what to expect from Parisi if healthy. You know what Nico Koivu is at this time, at this type of you know stage of his career, and for where this team has the ability to get to, where they can rise to, I think is totally on the hands of young guys. It's time for them to step up. Uh, you know, and and again, Niederreiter and, and Gramlin are entering the last year of bridge deals, and and they're two guys that that you know could wind up elsewhere if they don't have a monster year this year. Because it's a while they're going to have to figure out a way to, or or decide at the end of this season whether or not they're going to commit to them long term. Mike, you've mentioned Parisi a couple times here. I just want to ask you a, a multifaceted question here. I think you've seen him skate already, right? So uh, the, yep. first, the first question is, is, is he in fact healthy? How much concern is there for that injury to linger or reoccur? And then how much did they really miss him? I mean, there were a lot of national pundits almost mocking the Wild last year in the playoffs for the style they were playing, for being a bit dull, but they're without a key piece, obviously. So maybe you can address all that. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I, I I think the Wild were anything but dull in, in the in the playoffs against Dallas. I think if they were dull, they'd probably win the series. I think they tried to out outskate the uh, Dallas Stars, and they don't have Jamie Benn, and they don't have uh, Jason Spezza uh, or or Klingberg or anybody like that. And and the Wild tried to outscore them, and 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 obviously couldn't do it. Uh, ben was just phenomenal every game in the series. I think he got a point in every game in the series, but. Back to your first question. I mean, right now Parisi says he's healthy. I, I watched him skate yesterday. I watched him skate today. Um, he looks outstanding. Um, but uh, this is the type of injury. He didn't have surgery on it. He, he rehabbed it naturally. Uh, and this is just the type of injury that, honestly, can flare up if he's tying his skates. Uh, you know, he, he went for an MRI today. I'm actually uh, hosting a radio show here in, in the next little bit, and he's going to be one of my guests when he gets out of his MRI. So maybe we'll have a an update to the update uh, on how he's doing, but the physical that he was getting today was to get cleared for the World Cup, and, and that, to me, is the most interesting thing. Here's a guy that missed the last three games of the season, last, missed the entire postseason round against the Dallas Stars, and um, the Wild are going to allow him to play in the World Cup and represent the United States. Now, you know, on one hand, that's a good thing. It says that he's healthy. On the other hand, you know, it, it seems like the Wild show must step in and say to him, look, this is not a smart thing. We want you to continue to be safe here. Um, but right now he is uh, intent on, on going, and um, he, he thinks this will really get him ready for the season, and, and he knows his body better than anybody, and right now he absolutely feels 100%. Mike, what's the, I know it's been about just a year and a half with Devin Dubnik, but I mean he was great that, that first half season you guys had him. He was pretty solid last year as well, and the playoff numbers aren't great, but you know, like you said, you're facing Dallas. They weren't exactly the same team at that point. What are the, the thoughts on Devin Dubnik now about a year and a half into his uh, tenure with Minnesota? Well, you know, he I don't think anybody expected him to put up the crazy numbers that he did after being traded from Arizona uh, two Januarys ago. But, but uh, you know, he he, uh, at he was just very inconsistent last year. There were times where he was, he was poor. There were times where he was phenomenal. There were times where he was pretty much average. And, and uh, you know, in the playoffs, I, I didn't like his game. I, you know, he was playing with a hand injury pretty much from the beginning of the series on. Uh, that did affect him, but he just gives up the most goofy goals that you'd ever see, and, and it almost became comical last year. Is that he just seen one a game was funky, and that really 
it, it happened pretty much the entire second half of the season, and then it just didn't stop in the postseason to the point that he was giving up goals from behind the goal line and things like that. So he's just got to be more consistent. This is a team, again, that we talked about. Just the, you know, They're not the, the most talented offensive team in the league. They've got to play structured defensively. Um, but they need rock-solid goaltending, um, and that's been really the, the, the one thing in the tradition of the Wild is that they've, just, they've always had great goaltending. And, and um, you know, he's, he's got to be better. I think that he admits that he had an inconsistent season. It's going to be interesting, uh, as all goalies are going to be affected by the, by the extreme trim-down um, equipment, how that affects a guy his size um, that really depends on angles and going side to side. Um, but but Dubnik was on the committee. He seems comfortable with the changes, and we'll see how he looks in training camp. How much longer can they count on Miko Koivu to put the same sort of team-leading numbers he posted last season? Well, I mean, you know, he, they, they need a team leader that has more than 50, 60 points. I mean, that, that's what it comes down to. There's there's something in the in the ice here, in the water in St. Paul, that just doesn't allow uh, wild players to score more than 30-something goals and, and you know, 65, 70 points. And, you know, Miko had a really good year last year, but, but that is, I mean, you're right. I mean, 33, 34 years old, he's hitting the twilights of his career. He only has two years left on a seven-year deal. So, you know, he's, he's wrapping up his time here. And, um, and, you know, to me, this is less on Miko um, and more on just the fact that the Wild haven't been able to develop, um, you know, a, a top-notch center. I mean, just an example is that two of the guys that they've been raving about is potential cornerstone centers here for for the last three or four years are Granlin and Coyle, and both guys are coming into training camp looking like they're going to start on left wing and right wing, respectively. Uh, so, um, you know, they're, they're going to start with Koivu, Stahl, Pala up the middle, and probably either Zach Dalby, who's a minor league fringe player, or Tyler Grayevac, who's a young guy that they have a lot of hope for, but just uh, has had major injuries and just hasn't reached his, his uh, expectation level yet. So, uh, you know, right now up the middle, where I think you win in the NHL, I don't think the Wild are up to par. All right, Mike, we need to get to more important matters here. Uh, first off, I, I think you went to Cabo this summer. Is that correct? Yes, I did. I think I'm the only NHL beat writer who has not been to Cabo at this point, so I, I apparently need further coaxing. How was your time down there? Uh, it was just incredible. I, honestly, believe it or not, other than like when I was a kid going, I think, Tijuana, uh, when I, we took a trip to Southern California, yeah. Uh, this is my first time ever in Mexico, and uh, it was just an incredible trip. Awesome food. Uh, you know, I did get seasick for an eight-hour fishing uh, adventure, which, by the way, was one of the worst experiences of my life. <laughs> Almost considered jumping off the boat at one point. Uh, but it was just—it was just a relaxing, really cool trip. Went for five days, uh, and it, it's been kind of the summer of Russo. I've had a ton of trips, and I'm not even done yet. I've, I just got back from Charleston, went to Vegas a couple weeks ago. I'm going to Vegas next weekend. I got a I'm buddies with uh, Eric Stolhansky, who played uh, Rabbit and Super Troopers, and they're filming Super Troopers 2 right now in Boston, so I'm going to go visit that set in early oh, wow. September. Uh, it's good so to I got, be uh, I got a bunch of stuff on the horizon still before <laughs> training camp even begins. All right, I know you reported on this, uh, I believe it was yesterday, but the Wild have chosen a new goal song, uh, Let's Go Crazy by Prince. Obviously, the ties to Minneapolis make sense. We want to know, you know, we do a thing every week called the Lipinski List here which is obviously supposed to be Luke's responsibility, but as Jamie will tell you, Luke puts absolutely no effort into it. That's so the right, other two yeah. usually have to carry the day. Let's start with this. Is Let's Go Crazy the best goal song for the Wild? I mean, I, I thought maybe Delirious might be better, but maybe that's something that they <laughs> save for an actual playoff series win. 
Yeah, I, I got to tell you, I'm, I, I, I hate to be the controversial one, but, but I am not a fan. I, I just, uh, first of all, I, I couldn't care less about gold songs. I actually didn't even really, like, if you told me right now with a gun to my head, like, you know, you know give you the, the, the tune of the Wild Soul gold song, I wouldn't even be able to come close because the second a goal is scored, I'm immediately tweeting and writing notes in my file and writing down a piece of paper. Like, I'm not just paying attention. But I am just not a fan of Let's Go Crazy. I, I just, you know, even when they played it, they, what happened was basically Prince died, I think it was two days before the Wild played game six against the Dallas Stars. So the Wild, to honor Prince, put in Let's Go Crazy, and they were going to actually have Delirious as well and just kind of flip-flop. Huh. And then the Wild didn't get a goal for the first two periods, and then things exploded in the third period. And then, by the way, Devin Dubnik gave up a bad goal, and they wound up, you know, their, their comeback uh, was was you know, uh, ruined, but, uh, you know, it, it, they played Let's Go Crazy and then Let's Go Crazy, and I just, every time, it just didn't seem to fit, and even the, when they put it out there, their release yesterday, it just didn't seem to sound good to me, but I don't know, maybe I'm just not a fan of the song, uh, you know, I know, I, I talked to Bruce Boudreaux, and Boudreaux's just like, as long as we hear it three times a game, I'm fine with it, <laughs> so, so I, I guess that's the only thing you care about with old songs, is that it's actually played in the arena. Are you actually a Prince fan? I'm I'm not the biggest Prince fan. I mean, that's, I guess that's also what comes down to it. Is that uh, you know, I, I feel like I'm gonna get like you know like my Minnesota driver's license taken away from me when I get off this podcast <laughs> by saying this. But you know, I, I hate to be the Debbie Downer, and and uh, like I made a comment yesterday that I hated the song on Twitter, and I, you would have thought that I had uh, you know said the most vile thing in history. Uh, yeah, I'm not, a, I'm not a gigantic Prince fan. I'm certainly not a fan of the song. So I, I, I prefer them just go choose something else. I don't have to hear it uh, two, three times a game. <laughs> You're not going to be much help in us constructing this Lipinski list then, are you? No, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we might have to do this after the podcast. I might actually make Luke work a little bit. No, don't do that. That's, that we don't need to do that. <laughs> Mike, it is always great talking to you. I am sure I will see you at some point during the season. Um, and chat with you many you know, times. I'm, I'm staring at the Wild schedule now, and I cannot believe it. I, I didn't even realize it's April 8th, the last game of the Wild season is in Arizona. We have to wait 81 games before we uh, get to take my uh, one of my favorite trips of the season. Well, it'll be great weather as it is pretty much the entire NHL season in Arizona. Mike, as always, thanks for joining us. Really, really appreciate it. We'll, we'll catch up with you down the line, okay? Yep, take care, guys. Thanks, Mike. All right, thanks to uh, Mike Russo of the Star Tribune there. Good stuff, certainly, to uh, to enhance the podcast today. There's, I don't, I would question if there's anybody out there that knows more about the Minnesota Wild than uh, than Mike Russo. He had some interesting stuff to say there too. Uh, specifically, he threw it in there just in in passing, and we didn't get much deeper into it. But when he was talking about the power play, Minnesota's penalty kill last year was 27th overall. The year before, they were first. Like that is traditionally an area where Minnesota is very good. For whatever reason, last year, their special teams hurt them on both ends of the ice. So they are a a tough team to sort of pin down what I'm expecting from them next year because, and and I know Mike said it a few times in there, just adding Bruce Boudreaux doesn't suddenly mean you're going to beat Chicago or Dallas, but it does change the the face of that team. Yeah, and and specifically with the special teams, I think that's where he can have a significant impact. Both units, not just the power play. I do think he'll have an impact on the power play, but I I think, well, not saying much to say their penalty kill will be better than it was last year, but I, I see him having a significant impact there, and maybe that gets you a few points in the standings. Again, you run into the problem that you're playing in the central division, and even the bottom feeders in that division now, I, I expect Winnipeg to be better next year, and, and now that Patrick Waugh has gone from Colorado, 
I expect Colorado to be better too, so it's going to be an interesting division to watch this year. It's a weird team to look at because you look at the names and they have pieces. They have pieces you like, but nobody that jumps out at you and says, yeah, that, that's a superstar. I mean, Zach Parise is there, but he's not a team-leading star. Ryan Suter's there. He's not a, an upper echelon defenseman. Well, there's some people who believe he is. I mean, you look at the points last season. He had a good season. So. He, he's really good, but I don't, I don't, I don't look at him in the, the elite of the elite category. Huh. And yeah, they have a lot of pieces, and they're very much a team that tries to be more than – the sum of its part more than the sum of its parts, but yeah. I just I don't see them being anything more than a, a wild card contender. I wonder if guys like Mikhail Granlund and uh, Nino Niederreiter will be more productive. And Niederreiter's fine; he's hit the twenty goal plateau each of the last two years. But I do wonder if those guys will realize some more of their offensive potential under Bruce Boudreau. Mm-hmm. Now, end of the day, that's probably not getting you past Chicago in round one or round two or whatever. It, you know, we talked about the Rangers earlier in, in the podcast, and the Rangers are kind of locked into where they are. They're probably going to make the playoffs every year because they have Henrik Lundqvist. They're probably not going to go that deep. Unfortunately for Minnesota, and, and I, don't, I don't think the Wilder are similar to the Rangers really in, in almost any way except the simple fact that I can't see them getting past the first or second round almost no matter how good they get because they're going to have to go through Chicago, Dallas, St. Louis, two of those at minimum every year in the playoffs. And they don't have star power. Yeah. And ultimately, in sports, especially in hockey, but in all sports, you have to have some star power. I think yeah, Parisi's yeah, especially close. Especially up the middle. Yeah, I, that's I, true. I, I know I come back to this all the time, but I mean, what, I mean, per- what's what's more important than yeah. having elite centers in this league? Again, we, we go back. Who wins cups without elite centers? If if Stahl comes in and has a retro year, okay, maybe I, I don't see that happening. But short of that, when I look at this team up the middle, I think again they're they're good. They're not great, so they're not a cup contender. And Parise is really good, but where would you rank him if you had to rank every single player in, in the NHL? I mean, is he a top 30 player? Do you want me to rank so. every player right now? Yeah, just start like we did on episode two. All right, oh. Crosby. Oh, so ridiculous. <laughs> I, I mean, oh, I'm, I mean, I'm sorry. Should we, should we just stop right there? I haven't read the TSN polls. I'm sorry, are there any more Penguins on that list? Connor McDavid's number one. Uh, Leo Dreisaitl's number two. Uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins is number three. Taylor Hall's number 867. Yeah, Taylor Hall's terrible because he's not in Edmonton Adam anymore. Adam Larson's best defenseman in the world. Adam Larson, v- uh, Norris, and the Vesna. Why not? Just give yeah. him the Vesna too. Um, now you got me all distracted with talk of the Oilers. Okay. I, to the wild. I, think, I think Zach Parisi is the sort of player that is still capable of getting you 35 goals in a season if he's healthy, which is obviously a big deal. But if you get into the playoffs, I think he's somebody that can step up in key situations. If they were in a different division, I think their outlook's better. I mean, at the end of the day, I'll just keep coming back to it. They're not – Mike said it himself. They basically, in a seven-game series against Chicago or even Dallas, they have to be on their A game every game. And I know you hear the rhetoric before every playoff starts or every playoff series. Every coach is like, oh, our team's got to play perfect every night. The truth is that's not the case. Chicago can fall behind 2-0 in a series, play poorly, and still win 4-2. Minnesota can't against those teams. Maybe. Uh, some, sometimes I think we're, we're basing too much of our opinion on this division on the past. I do think it's a, a really good division, still the best division in hockey. But did Chicago and St. Louis take a step back this year? I know Chicago added Brian Campbell. That's St. Really Louis certainly did. But, look at the, again, look at their depth up front. Yeah, but they have real issues at the, with their forward depth, aside from those ridiculous players they have, the core players. They have some significant issues up front. St. Louis lost a lot in the offseason and maybe might lose more if they trade Kevin Shattenkirk. So I, I guess my question is, have, have all the teams in this division just gotten a little closer to each other with the possible exception of Dallas, which still has 
huge issues. Well, with I, I think that's the thing with this division is everybody has a significant flaw. I mean, we just talked about Dallas' significant oh, flaw. Significant. I mean, under under that sort of logic, every team in the NHL has a significant flaw. Yes, but there's a difference between not being really good in certain areas and not having being as good and having a glaring weakness. Dallas has glaring weaknesses. Dallas does. They I don't are think Chicago sensational does. with the puck on their sticks. You don't think Chicago does. Who's playing wings with uh, Jonathan Taves this year? Well, but, I mean, that was essentially the case last year too, was yeah, it not? It was, I, it was a big problem. It was, but I don't think Chicago has taken a step back from where they were last year to right now. I think they're just the same as where they were last year to right that now. That was a team that lost in the first round. It, and they easily could have gone to the cup if the puck doesn't hit both posts but and Brett Seabrook shot. No, I understand. But so, I mean, I mean it, it's tough. But who I are think you picking to come out of the West right now? But if you look at the talent, uh, we're coming out of the West right now? I mean, if you had to pick, I, I totally get what you guys are saying. The Chicago has flaws, and it would have really helped to have Jimmy VC, but... Again, that's in a vacuum. When you start listening to every other team, every other team has flaws too. I mean, if, if somebody's like, you've got to pick a team right now, I'm still taking Chicago out of the West. Yeah, I don't know if I'm taking Chicago out of the West. Well, I'm going to need to hear a different team because the other contenders are Dallas. I, I doesn't still have a think goalie. despite the way last season ended, L.A. and San Jose have better squads right now. And Chicago? Yes. Uh, Today. Uh, Depth matters. It does. This feels like another bet that Jamie's never going to pay In the postseason. The Chicago might – I'm not saying Chicago won't get 100 points in the regular season, but that's not how we judge Chicago anymore. I would flip it. I would say Chicago's – There's so many variables in that question, right? First of all, we're we're, we're not done dealing yet. The teams could add more pieces that could change this. You know, if Dallas goes out and gets a goaltender, for instance – Well, that changes everything. They become your cup favorite at that point. Maybe not with that blue line, but probably when you look look around, at least they'd be probably your favorite coming out of the West at that point. Maybe Chicago's younger players develop to the point where you're no longer concerned about that, and then you look at their greatest weakness last year was lacking that fourth defense. Well, they've added Brian Campbell, so that should really help. Maybe by the end of the season, they feel those other guys will be in place. There's a lot of variables we're talking about, but I, I right now, a Western Conference team is not winning the cup this year. I, I, I'll say I that right now. They are either. I, I, I tend to agree with. I think the three best teams in the league are down on who's coming out. I think the three best teams in the league are out east. See, I could see Chicago finishing third in the Central because they have they are depending on those young guys. And early in the year, those young guys are young. But by the end of the year, if even one of them steps up, you add that to a team that is better in the playoffs than anybody else in the West that has been there so many times before. I'm not saying they're unbeatable by any means. This is not the Chicago Blackhawks of two or three years ago. But you just said it. St. Louis got worse. Minnesota doesn't have the pieces up the middle to take out Chicago in a seven-game series. Yes, Winnipeg will be better, but they're not taking out Chicago in a seven-game series. So you're really down to either L.A. figures something out in a hurry or San Jose repeats the magic they had last year. That's that's it. Either three way. Best, three best teams in the league are out east. That, that uh, concludes our Minnesota preview. <laughs> the lengthy discussion of Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. What's, yes. uh, how, did, how did that happen? Well, I mean, that's sorry, Mike. That's probably the thing here is let, we'll just say it this way: Mike covered everything, so he did. He really did. And look, that's insight right there to how Minnesota Wild fans and the Minnesota Wild probably feel. Their season keeps ending with Chicago, much like their preview just did. Right, and it's always that's always who you're eyeballing when you're thinking, okay, is this the year? Oh, yeah, we got we got to go through those teams. Um, we you, did talk about the gold song. Yes. Yeah, so that's the elephant in the room right now. It's it's it a really large elephant. Really is it's. It, the Lipinski list, as it's called. This is really it's Morgan's like, musings. In name week. only. Yeah. Reminding me, yeah, even though I get no contribution. Look, I, I will say this in my defense. I used to work in a music store. I, I grew up around a lot of musicians. I'm a big music guy. For whatever reason, Prince has always, his, his music collection has eluded me. 
not in the sense of I don't know the songs. If you played a song right now, I'd be like, oh, that, that's definitely Prince. I don't know them all by name. So if you're asking for goal songs, right. the only one that comes to mind yeah, off is, the top of my head is Little Red Corvette, which has nothing to do with a goal. Is that what Yuri Hurdler is? Yeah, there you go. Okay. <laughs> I think Craig thinks we've See, mocked this it. Is, this is why I try to bring Mike Rousseau in. I, things I learned today on the podcast, yes. Mike Rousseau, I am so sorry to announce it. Well, I think he announced it already. Yeah, he announced it himself. He, 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 he tweeted it. Mike not a Prince fan, so I couldn't even get this out of here. I was trying to do your work for you through Mike Rousseau, and that didn't work out. It just out didn't so work well. so well. It was a, it was yeah. a poor plan. All right. So, so as, let's continue as with Mike it. wrote about yesterday, at least he dedicated some some ink to it. Not ink. I don't know what you call it online anymore. I have no idea. Bandwidth? So, Bandwidth? It's also confusing. But ones and zeros? We have a new goal song, Let's Go Crazy, which they debuted in the playoffs last year, ill-fated playoff series last year. So that's going to be their goal song. But are there other Prince songs that belong at Wild Games? Since he is a, a Minneapolis guy, and you guys aren't going to help me here at all. We brought out the idea of Delirious, and, and Mike even mentioned that that was actually a finalist. So yes. Clearly my insights are, I mean, my, my radar is right on here but I had a few others okay this is the ultimate teammate song I would die for you oh wow that, that's, right? that's intense yeah that comes to somebody else's defense should be like the Blue Jackets song for every Contro- shot they block controversy for a penalty call against the Wild oh okay see this works kiss for a kiss cam oh look at that see, oh I know another Prince kiss. song I'm gonna break it out in a second alright I'm gonna drop my last one and then you guys can take over with your many contributions alright which means we'll pre- previewing Detroit this is a very obscure Prince song. Sometimes it snows in April, and that's simply because it's Minneapolis. Oh, well, look at that. Jamie, I know that was right at the top of your list. So Yeah, I mean, uh, Craig, unfortunately. I couldn't have done it better myself. Uh, literally could not have. literally showstoppers. What if they made the ice purple after every goal and just played purple oh, rain? Look at that. See yeah. that? Or like a purple goal light um, instead of a red light. Mm. No? Look, you ask me to contribute in your little games, and then you mock my answers. I see how this goes. Uh, let's go, go to uh, Ansarcon of MLive.com to get a preview of the Detroit Red Wings. All right, we continue our previews looking at the Detroit Red Wings, a team that's been to the playoffs 25 straight years. We're joined now by Ansar Khan, uh, the Detroit Red Wings beat writer for MLive.com. You can find him on Twitter, at AnsarConMLive. Ansar, thanks so much uh, for joining us. I guess I'll just start off with the big question. Is this a team that can keep that playoff streak potentially going this year? Uh they can uh, certainly. I think it's going to be the biggest challenge yet in the last uh, 25 years. I think it's uh, the streak is in the most uh, serious jeopardy uh, this season than it, than it ever has been. And last year, of course, they needed uh, really uh, got lucky on that last day of the season when uh, uh, when Ottawa went into Boston and won that final game. Uh, this year, uh, you know, I, I think they're still a middle of the pack team. Uh, it's going to be tight. I think it's going to go down to the wire like it has the last four years, down to the final week of the season, maybe even the final day of the season, uh, the way things are here uh, in the Eastern Conference. And really the uh, the key factors for the Wings are, first, Peter Morozik's going to have to steal quite a few games. He's going to have to really play lights out much of the season and, and really be their MVP. Uh, he's capable of doing it, uh, but uh, you know, uh, the last couple of years he's kind of faded toward the uh, second half of the season. He's got to be more consistent. And the other thing too is that last year they had quite a few players really going up and down the roster that experienced a decline in production. And you have to think that uh, that at least some of them 
are going to rebound and, and be more productive. Guys like Qatar, uh, uh, Nyquist, uh, uh, Shan, uh, some of those guys uh, have to get back to the levels that they were uh, two years ago. Is the pressure to keep that playoff streak alive actually hurting the team long term? Uh, some people could make certainly a lot of fans make that argument. Uh, you know, uh, they say, "Why bother?" You know, uh, retooling a little bit here and there, adding veteran pieces, just to squeak into the playoffs and lose in the first round every year. Why not just you know kind of blow it up a little bit and, and, and give the young kids a chance? Uh, and uh, that would accelerate certainly the rebuilding process. The Red Wings, uh, but the Red Wings, they really, the whole organization really values that streak. Uh, it's something that they take a lot of pride in, uh, and they want to keep it going. Uh, they want to do what they can to keep it going for as long as possible. And, uh, you know, they always make the argument that, well, you just have to get in, uh, even as, like, the, the, the last seed, and you just never know what can happen. Uh, and, and the other thing that uh, Ken Holland always points out is that are the, are the fans prepared? If they were to go into a rebuild, are the fans prepared for several years of, of being bad? Uh, you know, uh, being near the bottom of the league and, and having uh, top five picks. Uh, you know, and certainly that is doesn't guarantee success, uh, as uh, Edmonton has shown. Thanks for bringing up that example, which we always use for for a team that's lacking success. But just a, just a little bit further on that answer. Uh, would you say then, and, and I'm, I'm reading this into what you're saying a little bit, would you say the pressure to keep that playoff streak alive then is greater internally than it is from that actual market? Uh, yeah, I think, I, I think there's a, a pressure uh, within the organization to, to, to keep the streak alive. I think, uh, like I mentioned, I think a lot of fans, just from the, the feedback that I get from fans, say, let it go. You know, it's not that that big a deal but again who knows I mean if they were to uh, when the streak comes to an end and if they, if this team does uh, go into uh, a rebuild and, and experience several years of uh, really bad hockey where they're just not competing for a playoff spot I think a lot of those fans can probably wish for, for these days where they are a middle of the pack team and uh, you know fighting and scratching and clawing uh, just to make the playoffs all right, let's let's look at this uh, team a little bit. The roster, the off season, and the big story this off season was where is Steven Stamkos going to land? There was a lot of talk that he might land in Detroit. Uh, a lot of people felt that the Wings off season was sort of built around landing Steven Stamkos. First of all, was that accurate? And if or if not, how do the Wings view themselves now that they have not landed Steven Stamkos? Yeah, no, I don't think uh, they're, they didn't put all their eggs in the Stamkos basket. They were certainly hoping, and they were determined to make a big pitch for him because, you know, a player of that caliber at that age uh, just doesn't uh, become available in free agency, uh, and, and as it turns out, he didn't uh, very often, and he was exactly what they needed, a top-line center, uh, a superstar right in his uh, prime, especially going into a new building uh, in 2017. They were hopeful that they could make a pitch and maybe lure him, but it's not something that they thought that they necessarily had a great chance. 
and as it turns out, he was had absolutely no interest. Uh, they, they didn't even return their phone calls, um, and then they moved on to Plan B, uh, which was Franz Nielsen all along. So, uh, the, you know, it, it, like I said, it was one of those things where they were hopeful that they could, you know, somehow convince him to come here, but it wasn't anything that they, I don't think realistically they thought they had a great chance. Well, they have a, a pretty good young one in Dylan Larkin with the 23 goals to lead the team last year, 45 points. Just turned 20 years old uh, late in, in July. What are they expecting from him this season? Is it is it fair to expect similar numbers like that? I mean, they can't really afford a sophomore slump from him as, as, as unfair as maybe that sounds. Yeah, no, they can't. They just don't have that margin for error. Uh, they don't, uh, uh, you know, offense uh, is an issue. And uh, certainly Larkin was uh, tremendous last year, kind of a savior, uh, exceeded all expectations uh, as a 19-year-old leading the team in goals. Uh, I, I think it's fair to accept, expect, uh, you know, similar numbers. I think one key for Larkin is, of course, he faded a little bit after the All-Star game. I think, uh, you know, and probably not surprising given his age and inexperience and uh, I'm sure it happens a lot with young players and rookies. Uh, they're just not accustomed to the NHL grind. I think uh, you know one of the keys for, for Larkin this year is to, 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 to be more consistent from start to finish, but certainly capable of uh, producing uh, similar numbers, if not uh, you know a slightly uh, slight increase. And of course, he's going to be playing center. That's the plan. Uh, uh, this year to be the take over the top line center duties from 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 Henrik Zetterberg, so he's going to have to adapt uh, uh, to that new role as well. What are the realistic expectations for Franz Nielsen this season? Who, no matter what he does, is not going to be Pavel Datsuk. No, no, he's not going to be Datsuk. But uh, you know, I think uh, with Nielsen, uh, certainly the, the the expectation is that he'll be a solid second-line center, fill that spot that's been uh, kind of a, a hole for them the last few years, something that they attempted to fill with Stephen Weiss a couple of years ago, and, and that was uh, that just uh, was a disaster. Uh, Nielsen, uh, you know, I think it's uh, fair to expect a similar season to what he had with the Islanders last year, like a 20 goals, capable of 50 points. Um the plan is, uh, you know, to play him uh, initially, at least, with, with, with Henrik Zetterberg on the line. And, uh, you know, a couple of skilled players that are kind of similar in a way. They like to hang on to the puck, and uh, it could be beneficial uh, for both of them playing together. But, uh, but you know, uh, certainly uh, Nielsen, uh, I think it's fair to his, Answer, let's stay up front for a moment here. We just had Mike Rousseau on from the Minneapolis Star Tribune. I know his opinion on this, but I wanted to ask you the same thing. Does Thomas Vanek have anything left? Uh, we'll see. Um, you know, certainly the Wings thought that uh, there's question marks about his, uh, you know, the work ethic and, you know, skating and, uh, you know, uh, all that, uh, the baggage that comes with that. 
from the wings perspective though they thought that one year at uh, at 2.6 million was was reasonable for the things that he's capable of bringing uh offense uh capable of scoring 20 goals uh helping on a power play that struggled uh, all last season and also a right-handed shot uh, which they don't have a lot of uh so he's potential to fill some needs there uh, but I, I do think he's one of those guys that'll probably be on a short leash, and that if he doesn't show something right away, uh, you know, I could see them uh, turning to other options, younger options like uh, you know Thomas Yurko, uh, who struggled the last couple of years, a young player that that showed some promise uh, a few years ago, and uh, possibly Timo Palkinen when he comes back uh, from his uh, shoulder. Uh, I guess along those lines, one of the names in the prospect pool that we've heard a lot about over the years is Anthony Mantha. Uh, I just wondered how, how close you thought he might be to making this team this year, or is there another prospect we should be keeping an eye out for? Uh, Mantha, I think Mantha is going to be caught in a numbers game right at the start of the season. Uh, I would expect him to start in Grand Rapids uh, unless they have like a rash of injuries or he just really uh, – makes it impossible for them to send him down after uh, training camp in the preseason. He's a player, you know, and, and he's got to play with other skilled players. He's certainly not a, a checker or fourth-line player. He's an offensive player. So he, if he's not in that role on the Red Wings, then there's no point in having him around. He's better off in Grand Rapids to start the season. Uh, certainly hasn't developed uh like they hoped when they drafted him and after his prolific junior career, but they're also not ready to give up on him, um, you know, simply because he brings elements that this team just doesn't have with that size and, and the uh, just the potential to be a, a pure sniper, goal scorer. Uh, he's a different kind of player. They've got a lot of small forwards on their team. And uh, he brings a uh, potential. He brings a different dimension. So I think that they're going to be patient with him uh, a little longer. Switching the focus to goaltending, do you think there's a market out there for Jimmy Howard? No, there isn't. Uh, <laughs> not, at least not right now. And there wasn't in the summer, as we saw. There was just very few teams looking for a goalie, especially one with that such a hefty contract, uh, made it impossible for them to move him. And uh, I don't think uh, they're going to be able to trade him uh, during the season. I, I think uh, their best bet is, uh, you know, uh, that Howard, uh, you know, he's going to back up Morazic and, and, and hope that uh, he regains form and has a good season as a backup that will increase his value uh, for either possibly Vegas selecting him in the expansion draft or uh, being able to trade uh, that contract, uh, which I believe will have uh, three years left after this season at, at a 5.3 million cap hit. Um, you know, it's uh, you know it's still going to be tough uh, uh, with all that money left on the contract to, to deal him. Uh, but you know, it'll start with if he has a if he bounces back and has a real good season. Increases that trade value, but I would expect him to be uh, with the team uh, from start to finish this year. 
Answer, I wanted to ask you about this blue line. Curious how the Red Wings view the blue line right now. They, they certainly don't have an elite defenseman in the mold of Nicholas Lidstrom, but it, it doesn't look like they have an elite defenseman on this roster, period. I want to get your thoughts on that. I want to know if you think there's any way they could still acquire one before the season begins and what it might cost. Yeah, I don't think they'll be able to do it before the season begins. Uh, you know, they, they over the summer they, they talked about Cam Fowler. They were interested in him. Uh, you know, they showed interest in, in Shattenkirk, but uh, uh, the prices were too high in both in both uh, instances, and, and they probably looked at others too. Uh, and I think uh, what's probably going to happen is they're going to start the season here, see how it goes, and then just reassess. And uh, if things aren't going well, maybe uh, maybe then they they have a change of heart and, and, and are willing to uh, to give up. Uh, something that they they've been reluctant to do so i'm sure it probably cost them either uh, either tatar or nyquist uh or uh, you know maybe a top prospect uh, uh, which i i'm pretty sure they'd be reluctant to deal uh somebody like uh, uh mantha or atmosphere uh, or our high pick um they're certainly not going to trade their first round pick but uh, i'm sure the second round pick would be in play so I think they'll reassess, uh, see how it goes, uh, and then go from there. But it, it is it is a concern. Uh, the, the biggest concern is their defense, uh, especially now with, with you don't know Nicholas Cronwell uh, had uh, all sorts of knee issues last season, uh, and now he's had to pull out of the World Cup uh, because of the, the knee. And there's uh, we still don't know whether or not he's going to be ready for the start of the season. Um, so a lot of questions on this defense. Uh, Ansar, uh, good stuff. Thanks for the time, and uh, we, we look forward to reading your uh, your updates all season long on MLive.com. All right, so there you have it, the uh, Detroit Red Wings, 25 consecutive years without missing the playoffs. They will look to make it 26 this season. Uh, they got about as close to missing as, as possible last year. It came down to the final day. Uh, and, Jamie, I know you've been particularly critical of the Red Wings. I'm assuming that car out in the parking lot with the Red Wings thing is not yours. It is not okay. yet. But uh, <laughs> but you are working on a purchase. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens with it. It's, <laughs> let's lower the, the retail price of it a little bit. But, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about this, and we, we mentioned it earlier in the show when we talked about Don Maloney and, and the Coyotes, about how, you know, it's very easy for a fan base, and even for us to say, hey, the, and I've said it a lot, Detroit Red Wings need to rebuild. They need to make sure that there's better sustained long-term versus just trying to keep a streak alive that in the scope of things doesn't really mean a ton. I mean, unless you're actually winning a cup, it doesn't mean a lot. Once they've missed the playoffs, two years later, it won't mean anything. It won't matter. And again, right now, if you're just kind of just putting bandages everywhere just to kind of hope that you can keep this streak alive and not actually be a cup contender seems like a waste of time. However, as we talked about, we just talked about, internally – there is that pressure, and part of it is because, A, you're trying to sell a fan base on to buy tickets and that you're good, and B, because, like we talked about before, you don't always survive a rebuild if you're a general manager or a team president or yeah. a head coach. What I guess I, I sort of agree with what you're saying uh, in theory, and, and Ansar said it a few times there, of just you know maybe, maybe, the, maybe it does mean more to the Red Wings than – just a typical hockey fan in Arizona or L.A. or New York might think it actually means to the organization. And so I, I, I hear the argument of, look, wh where is this ultimately getting you at this point? You've won cups in the past. 
if you if you have to bottom out for a couple of years to get back to the point where you're not the eight seed in the East every year, that's ultimately the best thing for your uh, your your program. But what does that actually look like? Is that just trading away pieces that you have right now and and hoping for a really high draft pick? I mean, the years of Connor McDavid and Jack Eichel and Austin Matthews are past. Uh, you know, there's there's not a player like that in next year's draft. No, but they have a lot of young talent, and I think the biggest thing is the perception of it. I mean, we talked about them being in the middle of the. Steven Stamco sweepstakes. Why? Well, what, I mean, okay, that's you don't add a player of that caliber or somebody close to that caliber. I mean, we've talked about it a zillion times with Louis Erickson. And again, Louis Erickson and Steven Stamkos are not the same player. But the point is you don't bring in that type of a talent to a team that should be rebuilding, and they shouldn't go after a talent like that. But so, like Th- Thomas Vanek. I mean, you're not paying him anything. No, but you, you do wonder, is he, is he taking up a spot? If well, they don't have room for Anthony Mantha because Thomas Vanek is playing – that doesn't help that team long term. That it might help true. that team this season, it but it doesn't might. help that team. We long don't even term. know if it'll help them this season. That's really, true. yeah. Let me let me play devil's advocate for, for a moment here. We, we play that game every time on every every week on the show. We do that. We need to do it in New Jersey. Yeah, we did. Did we? Yeah, we did. Devil's advocate of I devil's advocate. That's fine. It's New Jersey. Okay. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> back to my point. When you look at the young players on the Red Wings roster, some of the forwards in particular come to mind, like Dylan Martin, like we mentioned, Tatar, Nyquist. Can this team ever truly bottom out? That was kind of my point. Like, Jamie's right. You don't want to be blocking guys like Mantha from playing at this point if if you're just trying to sneak in and point Mm -hmm. to that streak. I don't think Red Wings fans are going to go away if you miss the playoffs one year. That's a pretty resilient fan base. So if you're finishing, you know, if you're drafting 10th, you're drafting 12th, does it help you that much? I don't don't know. That's the thing. I mean, but, you know, maybe signing – Maybe you don't need to sign Franz Nielsen. Mm. Maybe maybe something like that. And I think that's where the change comes in. It's not so much – they're not going to be Edmonton. They're not going to be in the number one pick race because they have – they're further along with some of their assets. that They're not going to be that bad. But why do you – now, I mean, you also don't want to be in a situation where you have all young guys, as we've talked about on the show a million times. You have to – the blind leading the blind there. But you wonder why they're going after free agents like Franz Nielsen, like Steven Stamkos, like Thomas Vanek, and I'm not sure those are the players that are going to... You're spending a lot of money to just get yourself in a position to be stagnant. Well, with Stamkos in particular, I think some people probably have a different opinion of Steven Stamkos than than you do, James. Yeah. Yes. You you will never be his agent. Because young players like that don't go on the market very often, as Answer said. So maybe you feel that's a piece that you can actually build around and then you look at your center position, and you're feeling pretty good about that. If, Again, if you believe Stamkos is that player, so maybe you feel like you can accelerate that process. But back to the, the other names, Franz Nielsen, I just, again, I, I don't get it either. I don't that felt it. like a we didn't get Stamkos. We yes, have to sign did. somebody because we just lost that. Because so, I'm looking at, I'll be honest, If again, I have a different viewpoint on Stamkos than Jamie does, but if you add Stamkos to a team with Zetterberg, who's still you know relatively effective, and Nyquist, and Abdelkader, who puts up 20 goals a year now, and Tatar... All of a sudden, that's a team that I could see winning a playoff series, assuming Peter Mrazek plays well. I mean, the biggest issue, and we hit on it with with uh, with Ansar, is the defense, and they tried to address that in the, in the off season. I mean, I don't know. I, there there is something admirable about having a streak like that, but I think it becomes more admirable if you have that streak and you're able to start back on the upswing while keeping that streak going. If you, if you just have that streak and then it eventually ends anyway, it's it's not it's not as good. Speaking of not as good, uh, here's the Columbus Blue Jackets preview for the season. A team, I'm, a team I'm fairly confident we will never discuss as a team that has made the playoffs 25 years in a row. <laughs> 
Yeah, I hope we're still or doing five. this podcast in 26 years, just despite – well, they'd have to make it every year. So in 137 years. Uh, the Blue Jackets have never won a playoff series. Uh, they've been there twice. They've won a grand total of two playoff games in their, their franchise history. A lot of people thought they'd make the, t- the uh, playoffs last year. Honestly, I was one of those people that thought they would sneak in as, as the second wild card at the start of the year. They were and a hot pick to start the season. Two weeks into the season, they were 0-8, and, and they had a different coach, and everything looked different. And at that point, obviously, it's... it's uh, Even after signing Brandon Sutton. Yes. We'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> you know, I, I know how folks in uh, Columbus love the University of Michigan, so I'm going to go back to a press conference that I had while covering the Cardinals when Jim Harbaugh was on the line when he was coaching the San Francisco 49ers. Okay. okay. And this is how I feel about Columbus. When I asked Jim Harbaugh, you know, when you got through training camp, uh, did you feel like you got some answers to the questions? And Jim Harbaugh's response, in typical Jim Harbaugh fashion, <laughs> answers? I don't know if we have answers. We have questions. Are More questions. Are we good enough? It was all this cryptic stuff that we got. This is how I feel about the Columbus Blue Jackets. I have nothing but questions about this team, other than the one thing that I'm fairly certain of. They're not a playoff team. Okay. Let's, what gives you hope? Let's, what gives you hope with well, this franchise when you look at it? I'm not saying the Blue Jackets are going to make the playoffs. I absolutely would pick them to miss the playoffs, and particularly in that division. But people were picking them to make the playoffs last year, and other than Ryan Johansson, who have they really lost, and they've added some Seth people. Jones. Well, some people were. But, I mean, grand scheme of things, a lot of it comes down to how you feel about John Tortorella. Um, <laughs> and, you know, ultimately what they can do in net with Bobrovsky. We'll get to him in a second. But the defense, if you want something that gives me hope, Seth Jones, Ryan Murray, and I would presume Zach Wierenski we're going to see here pretty soon as well. That's three of the better young defensemen in the NHL. So maybe that doesn't help so much this year, but in a year or two maybe. Some nice shiny hubcaps on the on a car little, little Ferrari work. that is Yuri Hudler. I, <laughs> we, I, we established he's either an Infinity or a little red Corvette. I don't – I just don't see it. I don't see where I should, as a Columbus Blue Jackets fan, be excited. Right, and – like, that's great. You have Brandon Saad. You have nobody else again in the puck. Your center depth is poor. Exactly. Well, Cam, Cam Atkinson scored 27 goals. He's not a center, but, I mean, that's another guy that can score. Boone Jenner had 30. Are you comfortable with Boone Jenner, Brandon Dubinsky, William Carlson, and, and, and Wenberg? No. Is, is this team I, – I, like, I don't like their forward depth. I don't like half of their defensive core. Well, I wouldn't have traded Ryan Johansson. So, I mean, <laughs> we've already parted ways with where I would have run this team, but – I do like Seth Jones, who they got back, and they do have guys that can score goals. And I have to assume Nick Foligno, who scored 31 goals two seasons ago, is going to score more than 12 this season, correct? He has to. He gets named captain, and he he suffers a 19-goal drop-off. That wasn't a question. That was a statement. Well, wasn't, he was playing a lot in. with Johansson for a while there, yeah. and he's gone. He's not going to be playing with him much this year, is he? No, not unless he ends up in Nashville, too. So I don't necessarily see that a massive, massive rebound coming back. Well, for him or for the team? I mean, I yes. think he'll get closer to 20 goals. I think Columbus is probably – they could sit in last place in that division. They'll That's... get close to 20 wins. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, okay, I'll come back to Brandon Sutt first. I have to, I have to yeah, just, it's all you yeah, want to talk about all the show. All I want to say is how you feeling now, Brandon Sutt. Are you happy you took less than $1 million for your board assignment in Columbus? Are you happy? Well, to hear you, you guys talk. You playoffs ever again. Flesh of your life. Maybe you like your summers. Maybe you like long summers. Maybe that's what this was all about. It's turned into a Robert Frost poem. <laughs> uh, all right, I'm done with Brandon Sod. On the subject of centers, okay. 
Pierre-Luc Dubois. Well, I mean, they clearly think he's the guy because they've passed. 18 years old, so is he ready? I mean, on the one hand, they have a just giant void in the middle. They need a guy like this. They need a number one center. But he's 18 years old. How much time can you afford for him to develop? I mean, I could see this guy, if he comes into camp, maybe maybe they they take a flyer and say, yeah, let's put him in right now because we need help so badly there. But... Is that the best thing for him? Is there anything he can do to live up to what his coach is going to want him to do? No, 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 no. And there's he's going to have a hard time living up to the, you guys passed on Pugliarvi with the third pick. And Pugliarvi was supposed to be a top three pick for two years, basically, heading into that draft. He, he's going to have a uh, – he's got quite the road in front of him. What is his best-case scenario? Because the, the comp that I see everybody, all the scouts throwing out at him, if he achieves everything to the highest degree, his game would be – like Anze Kopitar. I mean, if he would become Anze Kopitar, then Columbus well, then, will be then fine. Then they made a good pick. Yes. Then they'll be fine in two or three years. Uh, and that's the sort of player that would fit with Tortorella, too. Whereas, you know, if you had a guy that just scores goals and doesn't want to break his shin blocking a Shea right. Weber He's shot. He's a three-zone guy, so yeah. you, you love that about him. But, again, I think, I think it'd be very dangerous to throw this kid into the NHL lineup this season. I think you probably have to bite the bullet and say, let's, let's give him a year to develop, even though you're – God, you need it so bad. But I, I think they have to. Yeah. It's a bad team. Not sure the coach survives the season. Is, is that where you want your 18-year-old yeah, top, uh, top, top, top pick going there? I, I think that's, that's got mess written all over it. Do you think they have the next coach in mind already? Just in terms of... No, I don't. If Tortorella gets... <laughs> okay, if this was a different team, do you think they would? <laughs> I, th- this goes back to the question. Is we talked about this all offseason. Who are the next up-and-coming coaches? Yeah. I've, Who are they? I've long maintained, and then Pittsburgh did this after I said it, that I don't understand why teams don't use their AHL as as their their farm system for their coach, too. I mean, and Detroit did this, too. I mean, some teams do, but I don't understand. Tampa. And maybe Columbus does because, you know, they have a, a pretty good AHL team. But why aren't you bringing up your, your, your minor league coach who already knows, in theory, most of your, your minor league players that are coming up and the system, and he just steps right in? And, again, maybe we're wrong, and, we, again, we don't – I don't live in that world where I'm talking to NHL executives, and there might be coaching candidates that are out there that, oh, no, this is a blue chipper you got to watch out for. There are three or four of them. There's ten guys on the Avalanche list, according, uh, according mm-hmm. to some reports. Oh, wow. Is Patrick Wall one of them? Are good? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, but, I mean, like we knew for a while, you know, there was always these hot prospects, these AHL coaches, you know, when was Blashell going to come up, when was Cooper? Uh, and now you're starting to wonder, okay, those guys have jobs. It doesn't feel like there's this next crop of, okay, once there's a job open, this guy is going to be the one everybody calls. And it feels a little bit that way with GM roles too. I mean, the Coyotes just kind of dealt with that where there were a million names thrown out there and nobody really had a – there was no – this is the next great general manager that's sitting and waiting. Jason Botterill was supposed to be like four years ago, and then he was supposed to be Vegas's GM. And it, it, as far as I know, he's still just an assistant in Pittsburgh. But that's why it makes it so difficult. Well, should they get rid of this coach? Well, maybe, but I have no idea who they can replace them with. I would just – the whole reason I asked it is I would hope that – I would hope you're going into the season if you brought Tortorella in last year with the hope that – and you also traded Ryan Johansson, which I have to feel like Tortorella had something to do with, that you're assuming he can get you back to where you want to go. But if – because he is such a unique coach that can burn out a younger team, I would hope somewhere in the back of your mind you're thinking, okay, we have – this guy, if we have to make a midseason change. So we're not just making changes every other year. Well, what are the expectations for them this year? Because Bad. They're, they're not what they were beginning of last year. No expectations. So else. Anything they do is gravy. Who are they better than in the Metro on paper? I mean, they, who are they better than in the league on paper? Vancouver. 
It's not, it's not, not a long list. Yeah, I, I mean, the other thing with, with Columbus, and they kind of worked their way out of this a little bit by buying out uh, Fedor Tutin, but if you looked at the situation they were in in terms of no movement clauses before they bought him out, they were basically in a situation where they were going to almost either have to expose Cam Atkinson or Boone Jenner or somebody somebody pretty good that you, you, could, you could foresee being one of the top two or three picks uh, in that expansion draft because Dubinsky has no movement, Felino, David Clarkson. Yeah, and that's, I mean, we can talk about their contract situation. Scott Hartnell. The, the money they have tied up in curious places as one of the issues Columbus is facing. Uh, but I think we've covered that before, actually. It's, it's bizarre, and that, that definitely handcuffs you moving forward when you have money tied up in the wrong places. Yeah. So, I mean. You know, you asked earlier uh, why they went with Dubois over Pugliarvi. I, I think that's simply the position. Yeah. They believe Dubois can be their number one center. So, I mean, he's, he wasn't slated quite that high in the draft, but I think everybody had him as a top 10 pick, so maybe mm-hmm. it's not that much of a stretch. You get into that danger area of drafting for need rather than talent, but this team has a, just such a gaping need that if they felt those two prospects were close, you pick the center. Yeah, I, I think more than anything, it's it's going to be criticism that he faces if mm-hmm. Pugliarvi goes to Edmonton and, and basically does what everybody thought he would do. And it's not like he's in the greatest spot either, but... You know, we'll get to that Edmonton preview at some point here, and a fun one. <laughs> if that team is getting better, he's going to be surrounded by some some decent offensive weapons. Whereas Dubois really isn't, and again, his game translates all the way 200 feet up and down the ice. So it's to the casual fan that sees Pulleyarvi putting up 22 goals as a rookie and Dubois putting up 11, it's not going to go over well. I think to kind of wrap this up a little bit too is what do we expect from Bobrovsky? Because I, we have seen a vastly different talent skill level from him throughout his career. If there's any chance this team could be even competitive, it's because of Bobrovsky. But are we going to get the Bobrovsky of last season or of two or three seasons ago? I, I just think it's hard for a goalie to maintain that level of play when you're not a good possession team, when you're facing a lot of shots, when you're facing a lot of chances repeatedly. It's it's just not going to happen. You can't stand on your head repeatedly. So I, I mean, maybe it'll be better, but I, I just I don't see that being the turning point for this team this season. I don't think him be. I don't think he's the wild card that could change their fortunes. So four years ago in that shortened season, he wins the Vesna, And he was good. But, I mean, now you can look back and say, well, that was a shortened season. Maybe that was not, – not, not because you want to diminish what he did, but because he only had to start 37 games. Yeah. Well, he's been starting about 37 games every year since then because <laughs> of injury. And so now that's – maybe that gives you a little insight into why he was able to do it for that half season. Last year, his goals against was 275. His save percentage was 908, and he started exactly 37 games again. Those numbers aren't going to get it done on Dallas. Eh, maybe on Dallas, but they're certainly not going to get it done on an offensively challenged team like Columbus, who, with Tortorella, is trying to win more games 2-1 to one than 5-4. to four. And so if your goalie is letting in that many shots, that save percentage, just that's, that's not acceptable. And it's going to result in potentially a pretty high draft pick next year if they don't figure something out. Are we done with Columbus? We are. Please. Let's, let's, um, who we got for next week here? All right. Joining us next week on the podcast as we roll through all NH- uh, 30 NHL I like teams. this. I don't know who it's going to be. And one almost NHL Ooh, team. Yeah, that's exciting too. That's not next week though. What were you saying? Oh, you're talking about Vegas. Yeah. Oh, wow. You let the cat out of the bag. What? He, he didn't. You did. You said you, Vegas. You, also, and you've also definitely mentioned that on the show that's, at least two or three times. That's true. 
I'm excited for that one actually because because they seem to. Have you noticed by the way Vegas is making news every week? Maybe is yeah. this again? Is it the, the dead part of the season where people are just anxious to report on the scouts that Vegas has hired? It's good marketing by Vegas. They're kind of like the NFL. They want to be in the news 52 weeks a year. All right, we want to get to who we have next week. Uh, we're going to talk Washington Capitals. I assume that's one of the three teams that Jamie was mentioning. Ooh, nice. Okay, all right. In the NHL, but we we get Washington Post reporter Isabel Kershudi. <laughs> Just said that. Kershudian. Oh, wow. Great. So that's uh, going to be an interesting name to say. It's Armenian name. So I'm going to let – actually, she, she is kind enough to have it on her Twitter handle, the pronunciation, so you won't butcher it like I just did. She's a good writer. Fantastic, and, and really excited to get her insights. We're going to talk National Predators with the Tennesseans, Adam Bingen as well, another terrific reporter, and – We'll be asking him about yes. BC. who the third team is we're going to talk about. Well, traditionally, we seem to have sort of a weaker team yes. as the third team. Is this Edmonton? It is. Oh, nice. boy. Nice. All right. A big week for us. That's they're going to be interviewing me. <laughs> now here's Jamie Eisner to talk about the Oilers and Peter Chiarelli. So good stuff next week. I mean, two teams, two teams, I think, with legitimate hopes of going deep into the playoffs and well, yeah, Edmonton. that's hoping we're to make the playoffs. That could be an ex- first time in a decade. Those are three exciting teams, though. I mean, Connor McDavid's exciting. He is exciting. Interesting yes. would be a word I'd use. I think Nashville, the Nashville team is one of the most intriguing teams going into the season. We didn't even mention them. They could easily come out of the Central. I uh, they might. Dallas is still going to be the pick, but I think they finished second in that division right now. If yeah, I had to pick today, awfully good general manager. We're going to have to talk about that a little bit. With yeah. Oh, boy, he makes good moves. I'd go Dallas, Nashville, Chicago in the regular season, and then Chicago into the Western Conference Finals in the playoffs. Jamie, do you have any? Uh, way that the people who are already listening to the show can listen to us sure okay you want to share that you want to share it with them yeah uh, you don't need sure. to share it with me i know uh, be sure. try and pronounce isabel's last name i'll pr- be pronouncing it next week okay. yeah luke's got a week to prepare yeah. Say it in the mirror. hopefully it takes more time than he does on the all Lipinski's the list words, all the syllables in the mirror okay i'll do what i can <laughs> Uh, you can catch us on iTunes. Just search Natural Hattrick. Subscribe to us, please, because we have to continue to make sure Craig gets paid under the door. That's true. So you can, we can only do that if you subscribe. Uh, rate, comment, uh, let us know. We're always down for any compliments, criticisms, critiques. Um, if you really hate the show, make sure you let Luke Lipinski know and nobody else because uh, I'm it's fine. Craig and I are very fragile. Yeah, I can and, take uh, it. They can't. And otherwise, we're also you can get us on Google Play, todayslapshot.com. Also, follow us on Twitter. Luke's made a Twitter account, yes. as you might have seen last week. It's called, is it The Natty Hattie? It is yeah. The Natty Hattie. And the I will continue. Pass along, Luke, uh, some Lipinski list ideas, too. That's true. If the listeners want to give us some Lipinski list ideas, we, could, uh, we can use yeah, them. Yeah, we're definitely going to have a listeners question segment at some point. Okay. Friends to struggle with those, so please feel Yes, at the Natty Hattie. Craig tailors them to his own strengths. And uh, Luke reads everything you send him at oh, the yes. Natty Hattie. So make sure if you have any comments criticisms of Luke Lipinski, just in general, not just because of this podcast, but just his, his commentary on the radio or what he fills in for Vince Murata at Arizona Sports, whatever whatever critiques you have. For Mom, me. if you're listening and you want to criticize me, that's another way you can do it. That'd be perfect. All right. Yeah. Anything else here before we wrap up? Uh, anywhere else where they can send your complaints? No, I think that's you it. Have an email. If you have one of those planes that can MySpace. fly by with the uh, the tagline behind it, that's although creative. if somebody if MySpace? somebody buys a plane, <laughs> those are really delayed reactions. Not Friendster. If somebody if somebody just wants to like fly one of those planes, like you said, with the banners outside Fanrex Sports headquarters, we will address it. We yeah. will answer your question. Definitely. If you go to that kind of effort, we will certainly answer your question. Yeah, that's that's a fair point. Or you could just tweet us and it would save you about a couple thousand dollars. All right, that was episode, what, 47? was 47, which we did not name because there are, like, three players that ever wore that number for the Coyotes. Yeah, and they didn't play 
for the Coyotes for very long. So next week will be episode 48. That's called that foreshadowing. Is, that is how that works. All right. That is our numbers work, Luke. Correct. For J- Jamie Eisner and all his rich sarcasm. For Craig Morgan and all his rigged Lipinski list games, I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for listening to the Natural Hattrick Podcast.